beep, 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 beep. Hello, Internet. We interrupt your daily boredom for this very important podcast. This is Often Overlooked, a show where three Tennessee moonshiners tell you about all the things our friends and family don't want to hear us talk about anymore. We're talking about movies, books, comics, video games, and so on. I'm one of your hosts, Alex. I'm joined here by two of my friends. I'm Seth. And I'm Jeffrey. Let's play Guess That Topic. Here's three quick clues. Um, it involves a copper key. It involves a jade key. And it involves a crystal key. That's right. We're talking about Ready Player One. Music. Music. Music playing. Running the now. <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by Innovative Online Industries, your one-stop shop for all your Oasis needs. You won't find faster speeds or a more reliable network anywhere. For the low, low rate of $165 per month, you can have full, unlimited access to the Oasis. IOI, your internet mega mogul. All right, guys. So tell me about what's been going on. What's going on with you guys? So many things. <laughs> so many things are happening. I just moved to Flagstaff. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, you're, you had to drive two hours or whatever to get down here just to record because we're worth it. Yeah, all of our many, many... That's literally why I came down here today is to record this podcast. Yes. But all of our many, many listeners don't don't come stalk me in Flagstaff. I know you want to, but I'm there. That's where I live. That's what I'm going to be doing. You're just going to get a mob <laughs> now. Just so many people outside. <laughs> I, need to, I need to find this uh, the people that have put on this ad for us and set up yeah internet at my new place yeah especially like it sounds like they've got the best deal to be honest with you yeah i mean the low low rate of 165 per month that's that's not bad it's actually not far off from yes. what the prices yes. are about, now. Yeah. To be it's, sure, it's, it's actually not that bad it's not too far away <laughs> i mean yeah i was looking i was looking it up recently like 50 dollars for it's like you pay a dollar per mega uh, megabyte that you want that's the worst part about the internet is like yeah, you know, it's $50, $70, $100, whatever you pay. But if it was $200, you'd still pay because it's the fucking internet. Like, I would, I'll, yeah, I will pay, yeah. I'm going to hate it, but I can't not have the internet. It's like, yeah. what, are you not going to check social media? <laughs> whatever. <Yeah. laughs> Please, 250 a month. Your Thank phone you. can't handle this. <laughs> you right? Cool. Let's talk about Ready Player One. Let's do that. Ernest Klein. Ready Player One, or as I like to call it, VH1 presents I Heart the 80s, the video game, the book. <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, I think I think that's all we need to talk about, actually. Let's, uh, let's call that. Uh, good. See you guys. Yep, that's it. <laughs> and we're done. Good 80s in the, 40, in the 44s. That's it. <laughs> 1980s and 2044. We, uh, we come at this at a very interesting... An, an, an interesting crossroads because you guys have read it before and this is the first time that i had read it yeah it's mm-hmm. like in preparation for less this. than a week before recording this i have i have finally read ready yeah. player one i mean i i come i'm on the the corner of the ring that is absolutely in love with this book like i have tattoos about ready player one i have i listen to it at least once a year i love this book so I I don't know if what I say can be trusted to be <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be jaded a little like the key yes do you you said you yeah zing do you, do you, you said you have tattoos yeah like, yeah do you have these ones I I have the ones on my wrist yeah I know you guys can see this this is this is great podcast yeah. <laughs> riveting yeah, yeah, podcast I have, <laughs> I have I have the copper jade and crystal key tattooed on my wrist sweet um. And it will take a much larger role in my coming sleeve as well. Nice. Yeah. It was just so because, like, as I was reading it, and, and preface for everything, I did like the book. There were a lot of weird things that I had issues with, mm-hmm. and just every time I would find one like that, I just had to keep reminding. I was like, oh, Seth has a tattoo of this, and I was like, <laughs> I need to love this. Yo, I can't just because I just because I love it doesn't mean it's good. But, <laughs> No, and what I loved is that after after everything, after I got done with it, I mean, during parts of it, I was like, like I don't know, I don't know. But overall, I did really like the book. I think it's a fascinating read. Um, 
the story is phenomenal and overall i thought it was a, a very well put together book and story so yeah i think it's it's very well thought out it feels like i mean it definitely is the kind of book that um was well planned beforehand well researched all of that stuff so like it's not it wasn't just you know he didn't just get inspired and saw the story and wrote it down and that was that it was like a very well thought out book and it, it shows yeah i would i mean i kind of want to give our listeners like a breakdown of what the book is about in case they haven't read it before spoilers I'm, ahead yeah i'm assuming yeah spoilers spoilers ahead but you should um, expect that from our podcast by now yeah shame <laughs> on people that it has taken this long to read this book yeah shame <laughs> everyone glares <laughs> uh so essentially i'll just read the the wikipedia ready player one like what the, the setting is because okay. the plot's gonna take like forever yeah uh but in the year 2044 the world has been gripped by an energy crisis from the depletion of fossil fuels and consequences of global warming causing widespread social problems and economic stagnation to escape the, de- the decline their world is facing people turn to the oasis a virtual reality simulator accessible by players using visors and haptic technology such as gloves. It functions both as an MMORPG and as a virtual society, with its currency being the most stable in the real world. It was created by James Halliday, who, when he died, had announced in his will to the public that he had left an Easter egg inside the Oasis, and the first person to find it would inherit his entire fortune and the corporation. So the story follows Wade Watts, uh, starting about five years after the announcement, when he discovers one of the three keys pointing to the treasure for spoiler from the Wikipedia page. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's definitely the premise. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, almost dystopian society. It's very much a, um, realization of all of our fears currently kind of thing. Um, and the, the story itself is very much like a national treasure mixed with, um, you know, just straight video games, very pop culture reference heavy. It's it's definitely rooted a lot in the 80s, which is kind of the premises for all of the clues and gates and keys and all the stuff that mm-hmm. kind of takes place. Yeah, it's definitely a love letter to the 80s, kind of like what, yeah. uh, what Jeffrey was saying. Absolutely. I, I can see where at some points it could get a little heavy-handed because he really dives into all facets of that kind of nerdy mm-hmm. 80s culture. And if you don't, or you're not familiar with them, you can kind of look past it for a few, you know, instances, and then and then it gets to be like, wow, I've never heard of Supida Man before, or <laughs> yeah, um, that's part of the reason I loved it was I like that like mm-hmm. almost underground like hidden kind of culture feel is mm-hmm. like oh you've never heard of Supida Man you should check it out because it's amazing, and you're like oh and then you kind of get turned on to this whole other culture and all kinds of cool stuff like that that's part of the reason i really like that book and and it's interesting because as i was reading it especially you see so much of and i can only i don't mean to talk for us but i mean you see so much of like us in it like Mm -hmm. oh we are so just engulfed in cultures of like nerdism you know video games movies Mm -hmm. books it's literally what we're doing sitting here talking to the internet about (laughs) it's all of this and i think that was one issue that i had with the book was I loved all the references and I loved like the quirkiness. I felt like there was a couple times where it was just a little too much. And 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 I don't mean to, you know, yeah. get down on anything. There was just a couple times where it was just like, oh, and this, 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 like in a single chapter. And it was just like, oh, geez, like so many things like just hitting me yeah, all yeah. at once. Yeah, it it so. definitely is overwhelming, especially if you weren't at least somewhat part of that culture. Yeah. Like if you like, for example, if you had never seen war games, with Matthew Broderick, which is a the, great movie, by the way. It is a great movie. It is, yeah. Like, if you had never seen that, then, like, significant chunks of the book are yeah, lost on yeah. you. There's would, a lot of that. If, what's interesting to me is that we're, like, we're obviously the intended audience, you know? Like, mm-hmm. we bridge the gap between the people that lived in, were born in the 70s, you know, which we weren't, uh, lived in the 80s, and then the people that play virtual reality video games now. So there's uh, this wide audience that it reaches. Like, my parents have read this book. And then I know people that like would, you know, fall into the Gen Z kind of um, Snapchat generation, and mm. they love this book too. But they don't understand all the references uh, on either end. But in the yeah. middle, this is kind of the sweet spot where mm-hmm. we're not going to get most. We're going to get most of them, but we're not going to get all of them. Exactly. But this, we're the totally the bridge. This know? book is absolutely a love letter to the '80s and a love letter to like 
our group of people like yeah. people just like us in this kind of time and generation and who can bridge that gap like this book was written for those people because they get the references they understand the virtual reality they can pass between the worlds just like the characters in the book do it, that's exactly you know the intended audience yeah i think it's meant to be the, the it, it just fully parallel with video games like mm -hmm. the people who remember playing atari all the way through nintendo like super nintendo and um sega and into what we have now this mm -hmm. like very interactive video game environment that borders on what we see in ready player one mm -hmm. not quite on that level yet but yeah. well it, especially it's so interesting because you know this book came out was it 2011 i believe i think so yeah maybe 2010 yeah, yeah 2011 yeah, exactly. and it's interesting because at that time you know video games were still pretty rampant you know they're always going to be really popular and like mmorpgs and everything but vr was still kind of a oh yeah in the future like yeah. we're thinking about it and stuff like that and so it's interesting especially now to read it um, you know, coming into it, you know, pretty blind. Like I relatively knew what it was about, but kind of coming into it blind, it was so interesting because, yeah, like you were saying, this book is our generation. This is us. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we love the old stuff, you know, so much about nostalgia and all these things, but then also that future that's so broad ahead of us, you know, VR yeah. and all these things. And it's, th it's that interesting, you know, line that gets walked in this book that does make it so fascinating to see. And like, oh, you know, this is, kind of what could happen these are the things that yeah. you know are kind of bridging on our future here it is very much a hard science fiction book because everything in it is so incredibly plausible like our vr technology is absolutely headed straight at the oasis level of stuff photorealistic yeah photorealistic the same level of interaction um haptic gloves and suits and things like that's all pioneering right now that's that is happening right now and the energy crisis the real world stuff outside of the oasis we're headed that direction too it's mm -hmm. it is very much a logical progression of now to yeah. then so what what happens when you know we we completely direct our focus to video games mm -hmm. and is that necessarily a good thing you know yeah. you might get uh, enjoyment out of it but i think that's what wade kind of comes to realize by the end of the book yep I think that's kind of the overall moral of his story. Um, but it's also an, an incredible undertone of the entire book is like they mention it several times is the Oasis is an escape for humanity from the shittiness of human civilization. And that's kind of we're kind of headed that direction in the real world, but it's more of a worst case scenario kind of adaptation. Well, I think especially people are dipping their toes in it already you know we may not have full-blown vr like this is but you know escaping from things you know facebook mm -hmm. games you know yeah. like bejeweled like all these like random little things that people do is like yeah you know it just kind of gets me away from things for a little yeah. while and there's so, even yeah. Yeah. full mmorpgs like we had like you know wow obviously but like um second life for example which i think has kind of died now it's a little dead now but you know 10 years ago or whatever Second Life was very much like the Oasis without the VR. It was it had virtual real estate. People would spend real money. It had a very stable currency. Like it was very much the Oasis, and I think a large inspiration for this book too, because that it kind of gave insight into how something like this could rise, could sustain itself, and could die, um, in very similar fashion to how the Oasis does in the book. I thought another interesting thing that I mean when I when I got to the end of the book it, it was this very fascinating ending mm -hmm. spoilers alert I mean obviously kind of he gets to the end and he, he sees Halliday mm -hmm. you know this, this creator and he you know kind of bestows powers upon him all these different things and it's so interesting because Halliday created this world to get away from people and then at the end he realized how much he loved the outside world mm -hmm. and so one of the things that kept like kind of just clawing at me the whole time was like he kind of almost created a prison for people but then also wanted them to get out yeah but then also made this contest where it's like well go crazy kids like and so it's this fascinating like what, like what did he have in mind like all these different things and yeah so it, it was like a... and i think i think it touches on that at the end where he says like 
he built this wonderful escape for humanity, all this stuff, but he didn't realize that he that it wasn't going to give him the happiness that he really wanted until he was dying. Like so, he kind of had this drastic change of heart, and it's completely unclear whether he started doing the the egg hunt after he found out he was dying, or if it was something that he's been doing for decades, presumably. And has just come to fruition now that he is gone. So it kind of comes to like, did he have this huge change of heart and do the Easter egg hunt kind of thing to rectify his own unhappiness with what he has built? Uh, or, uh, you know, has this been in the cards from day one? Yeah. I think he's just trying to find a replacement for himself. Um, you know, he he gets to the, to the very end and, and Wade's talking to the... Um, Anorak facsimile or, or whatever the holiday facsimile and you realize at that point that he is trying to teach whoever's going through these these uh, gates that you know they need to have interactivity they need to be collaborative with their their friends on this platform and teach them to do the things that he wasn't really capable of doing in his lifetime like you, do, you realize when when he goes to Columbus and he gets into his apartment he's a shut-in and a hermit but he doesn't start to do good things in um, his quest until he realizes that um, he needs to take care of himself. He, needs, he realizes he needs to get over this uh, infatuation that he has with Artemis um, and bring it to like a healthier place. And then he starts to like it, it starts to click with him. Yeah, and he gets to move on. Well, especially I loved the the token love was in us the whole time or like we were the power where it was like literally you needed multiple people to open the last gate and i loved that i was like okay that's so fascinating especially in this contest that was so long you know so many people couldn't find it at the beginning and so many people were freaking out and going over it and to the point where it came down to you need other people to do this like you need other people to finish this journey and it's just an interesting way to to it's, finally end it all. Well, it's the it's the quirkiness of of all of the the like war game simulation and the the cabinet game stand up stuff with Joust, but the the other parts of it are the like very fundamental things that you have to understand as an interactive human being. It's like he he the last gate is literally opened by Schoolhouse Rock. Like oh <laughs> that's insane. Gosh. Yeah, the first one is is you know on the school and it's Dungeons and Dragons. It's like collaborative storytelling it's every step of the way it's like you have to do this with a team i don't know yeah and it's weird how like i had felt that the entire contest was kind of built around that interactivity collaboration like you know with dungeons and dragons and on the school uh uh, the planet uh everything felt very collaborative in nature but all of the gunters who were searching for the egg had like forced it to be a very singular experience out of greed or what whatever and I, that always felt extremely wrong to me like through the whole book it felt very abrasive for it to be a singular kind of experience so when it finally did like when um you know the high five finally kind of got together started working together towards that last key in the last gate it, that felt like they had finally got it like they finally understood how this was supposed to be played yeah and it not only did things get a lot cooler and crazier and everything, but it started to run a lot more smoothly and everything kind of made more sense and it just it fit together so much better with mm-hmm. the group. It's a standard like screenwriting tactic too. I mean, right at the end the team comes together, storm yeah. the castle. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's it's a good point, definitely. I do wanna ask about and I do wanna touch on a point that you brought up, you know, kind of the fun, like quirkiness because again i i relatively didn't know what i was getting into so you know at the very beginning of the book it's very much like oh dystopian future but you know i'm a i'm a a small fat kid and i'm just getting by and i'm having fun in this video game and it's like showcasing you know these teenagers and then you realize oh the contest you know this is gonna be fascinating and it's kind of this mysterious you know interesting you know mystery that needs to be solved and you know, i really like that aspect and you know he's going through the dungeon and then he finds the lich this intense lich and i remember reading it and i was like oh my gosh what's gonna happen what's gonna happen and he's like let's play and then his throne becomes like an arcade cabinet and i was like what on earth is going on <laughs> and just the complete just utter chaos um 
Get they, the record scratch. Yeah, yeah. It's like straight up record scratch. And they're like, what? Okay, what? <laughs> I love it. It's it's so fascinating because at that point in time, you never know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And it does. It's completely mysterious. And I love how there's that, you know, quirky weirdness of just like, you know, anything could happen. And then it takes such a sharp left of like a serious tone. It does. When he like yeah. gets, you know, when they they capture him and they bring him up and, you know, we're like, hey, we have a deal for you. You can either get a lot of money. Oh, you don't want that? You want a little less money? Okay. We're going to blow up you. And it's yeah. like, oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, and that, yeah. that was, I thought that was probably the best writing of the entire book. It was like, that was, you felt the exact same as Wade at the time. You're like wait wait they know in real life that like this this got real really fast and that that gave you the same like heart-wrenching kind of like what the heck is happening as way would have felt at the same time Mm -hmm. and that was i thought that was really really clever this is coming of age happens at the same time that he kind of finds the first key exactly it all just collapses on him and he has to grow up he has to start thinking like this isn't just a game anymore like all of it happens at once in like one brief meeting with sorrento like everything changes yeah. and I mean, can you imagine like if your favorite video game the coinage or whatever the like light or something you know was the your literal currency yeah. it's like you could go to a place in slay kobolds for like for real world money like yeah. uh, artemis arguably plays uh pvp for real world money h plays H place yeah in tournaments and stuff oh it's right you're right yeah yeah Yeah. that would be absolutely crazy and i think that that is the most fantastical part of this whole thing is the real world currency crossover there but it's also not unheard of like look at wow in in wow people would spend granted the currency wasn't the same but they would spend real like dollars on characters and accounts and things like that like vast amounts of money buying and selling there was a real market there so that kind of concept isn't unheard of but we see it now you know with yeah. the microtransactions Sorry, yeah. i cut you off but no no and the microtransaction i think is the next logical step and then from there it goes into real currency and i think that that is why this felt like such a good logical progression into like where we're headed as a society in real life what's the next step yeah it all made total sense it's it's just really interesting to see that almost juxtaposition of you know all these all these quirky funny things but then also that underlying dark tone that was there Mm -hmm. i mean it it made it super fascinating because you know oh yeah they're running around and they're doing all these things and they have to quote monty python like and then the real world fact of like, no, they're chasing these people down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that is that comes to a head where um, they all get together um, with Og in the chat room, and he's like, "Hey, um, I see you guys are you know in some dire straits. I can help you out." And he flies them all out to his house. But that was where it was like, "Oh, okay, this isn't just a video game. Like everybody has that same realization that Wade had earlier in the book, where like." They're in airports. They are. Shoto is in a manga cafe. Daito literally died. They threw him out of out of his apartment. Yeah, like that. That all kind of happens to them later. And I thought that that was interesting because you get to see this cool like dynamic where Wade is like, yeah, fi- like you guys finally get it. You're you're caught up to me now. And then they kind of address it from there. And it was very interesting to see how they all did the same thing. Like, they all left with nothing. They went to a public place, hopped back into the Oasis. Like, all of them did that in their own time. And that, like, it was cool to see how uh, the parallels between them in the, you know, in the Oasis or whatever, and us in real life playing games. Like, because of the games we play and the pop culture we're into and all that stuff, like, we can all reliably make very similar decisions like mm-hmm. without knowing what the other person had done and i think that's what kind of if i if i were to guess what what holiday's kind of motivation was mm-hmm. is to try to find somebody like that right like i kind of touched on it a little bit already but we wanted to find somebody that was open to collaboration like was open to finding people that were like-minded and getting to a point where they could team up and uh finish this quest but also just somebody that 
had a love of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's crazy. There's a point in the book where Wade stops um, in his search and just plays Pac-Man until he plays a perfect game. And yeah. you're like, why are you? What are you? You're wasting your time. People mm-hmm. spend days playing one game of Pac-Man, and if you mess up, you're gonna spend another, you know, like mm-hmm. 16 hours playing this cabinet game. Ends up saving his ass in the end, which is you know it's validated. Yeah. It's like obviously the guy just likes playing video games. Exactly. He and thinks there's some significance here. That's exactly how he got into this whole thing in the first place. Is like he would not have become a gunter if uh, video games weren't already like ingrained in him, who he was. Well, for for Wade, it's like a his it's his life. You know, mm-hmm. he learns how to walk and talk with um, video games. It's nuts. Yeah. Know? It's the, the separation between where we're at now and what's exactly. going on in the book. There's educational games, but none of them are fundamental to a human's education. Mm-hmm. I, I think media is, is slowly getting to the point where they're trying to break into more education, but mm-hmm. it's right now it's very much like tutorial videos and things like yeah. that. Well, it's going to be hard for them to get to the level where they are in Ready Player One because of mm-hmm. the huge distrust of the media right now. So that is something that wasn't around when the book was written. So there wasn't that distrust in mainstream media. So you could have made that step into like, okay, we come to you for news and information and blah, blah, blah. And then next step is education. Now that next step is more of a leap. Unless Uh, it's independently handled. You know, I guess in the case of Ready Player One, Ogden was like mm -hmm. a reliable source, right? Like him and um, Kira, is that his wife's name? Yeah. Yeah. Had you know they were trusted by the public now we we have to get it from independent sources we have to do you know we're we're getting bites of it with like crash course or something like that yeah and i think it'll evolve eventually and those trusted sources will kind of manifest on their own yeah that's that's a good point um can there okay so i have one hole in this whole thing that it bothers me every time i hear it and that is the one thing in this book that i could not make sense of like how this happened so when wade is indentured living in his little hab unit in the basement of ioi he like he has passwords and backdoor stuff that he bought off the elite hacksaws wares house right <laughs> like okay the, i get that it makes the black sense. market yeah yeah that is stuff that actually happens um what so gaining access making fake admin accounts stuff like that i get it that's not not an issue the issue i have is when he first is talking about uh you know getting in and and, uh testing out his passwords and stuff he the book just mentions like oh earlier i had changed out the cameras not changed them but i had adjusted the cameras so that the feed would cut and transition to like a pre-recorded feed and blah, blah. And he just moves on. It's like, that, that is the biggest step. How did you, how is that possible? How did you do that? And that's where the whole thing collapses. The whole thing collapsed right there. I was like, man, all it takes is one line to be retconned in the book and then you're done. Exactly. I, I can look past it because the rest of the book made so much sense and like, whatever, it wasn't a story issue. It was just like, that is not something I wanted to be skipped, and it was skipped. Yeah, I guess they because I when I first originally read it, I was thrown off by the fact that he just knew how to hack. You know, like this is a kid that plays video games. I, I know plenty of people that play video games that know, don't know the first thing about computers. But I mean, they they kind of established a little bit that he had a programming background because he he made his uh, first Oasis game or whatever. Yeah. He, did. he made a stacks game, right? So, mm-hmm. and I think um, that kind of comes from the, the Gunters. Like they said that that was a rite of passage, just programming mm-hmm. your first game and stuff. So it kind of hints that he has that background, but yeah, it's never really addressed. Not until it's necessary. He just, I guess. he learned how to do that kind of stuff just to be a Gunter. Like uh, it, I could, I could, I could let it slide more than than if, like, you know, he he goes to the, it goes to Columbus and gets the vending machine gun, and if he had to like use that at some point, which is like a sharpshooter, that would I would have been done, you know. I think I would have been <laughs> kind of like glass shattering moment for me. Yeah, it would have been too much. Well, that, especially with, um, like with the programming and stuff, and you get all these references, and it's interesting that you mentioned that of just like the one thing you like you could have really wanted 
was just skipped and it's a fascinating thing especially when you when you look at it from the point of like oh well he explains everything down to a t and like the halliday's bedroom and this and oh these like 20 references and then it's just like yeah i was able to hack into it let's move on and it's like come on like (laughs) you you explain so much in the book already it's like maybe just this one thing that was the one thing and i like i kind of get it like why because that not only would that be really difficult to write but it would also be boring and like it's not really important he did it no big deal whatever uh but that was the one thing like it just like man that's just dang it like i think he does a good job talking about the discrepancy between different people's connections and Mm -hmm. like their access to yeah better oasis consoles and better gear because even wade kind of in real life levels up his his oasis gear uh yeah i think that's why i was so disappointed that it wasn't talked about yeah. was because like clearly it could have been he knew what he was doing like he, Ernest Klein knew the technicalities he knew all that stuff he could have written it it just wasn't yeah I, th- I think uh another thing that threw me off too is that like with that attention to detail was like uh, what what happens when there's all these different people with various levels of connection and IOI is talking about like if you're, or not even IOI but the closer you, you are to Columbus the better the connection you you have how is it that, that half of the Oasis is in the, whatever that final planet is outside of Anorak's castle and the, the server doesn't crash and they just so don't come down? So it actually touches on that in the beginning. Um, how when they're talking about Halliday um, first introducing the Oasis and all that stuff, um, part of the reason it took off was because of the revolutionary server technology. It was kind of peer-to-peer uh, okay. where... Um, it like even references World of Warcraft, uh, where instead of having like dedicated servers or whatever, it has like the host server, but it can pull extra computing resources and networking resources from every console connected. So theoretically, you have an infinite Redundant. level of power okay. and infinite network bandwidth because everybody is using their own and it's all linked together. All kind of resources. It's a it's very complicated, but he kind of touches on it in the beginning. Yeah, I guess I guess he also kind of touched on the fact that there's like portals into uh, the planet. So and there was like a backup at the gate or whatever. Yeah. So, it, you know, it was like kind of one at a time as opposed to everybody being there at once. Yeah. Which and that's it goes into the book. It's like it's kind of yeah everything does kind of make sense, but it's not very upfront about it. Which to me was a plus. I really liked the book for the the plot and stuff because i like the treasure hunting stuff but also if you wanted to dig deeper into the book there was more there and that like that's like a double that's a twofer (laughs) you know i i so i think that's why it resonates so much with me is because i like digging into things i'm very much a gunter at heart um that's how i got into programming actually um very much a gunter story to begin with so it's like I kind of really identified with it, and if you wanted to dig into the book, there's definitely more information there, which is great. That that scene is going to be one hell of a scene to film. I know Spielberg can do it. Yeah, but. I'm actually I'm. If they don't change too much of the plot, I think the movie's going to be great. Yeah, I I've heard a couple of interviews. I think I've read a couple of articles about it. Uh, obviously, they're not going to be able to attain the rights to everything. Yeah, and and Ernie. Uh, has talked about that in in all of those interviews. He said, like, you know, I know that you can't get everything. But yeah. Spielberg is obviously that's his IP. He can probably pull some of that stuff. I'm not really sure how the 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 copyright works with him being the director and whatever studio he's working with. But yeah. I think it's Warner Brothers that's making this. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think so too. Yeah. They've got they've got a big repository, so yeah. I know they can pull a lot of the stuff that he's referenced. They're not going to be able to get it all, but he said that it's fine if it's something that's similar and has the same feeling, exactly. gives you the same aura of the '80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that he would feel like that would still keep, you know, stay true to the, the yeah. heart of the there, book. As long as they get the staples, like they, you can't not get a license to joust, like some Dungeons and Dragons. Like as long as they get the staple pieces, then it'll be fine. You can pepper in other alternatives, you know, off-brand stuff mm-hmm. in the rest of the movie, and it'll it'll still hold true. Yeah, he said like war games. He's not sure if that's gonna happen, but it would be something similar, like a yeah, like a defining. Yeah, they can they can. I mean, writers are writers. You can change stuff up and still 
convey the same message. Well, especially for me, when I think about the movie, and I, and I definitely wanted to talk to you guys about the movie because it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Yes, most definitely. I mean, if anything, it's gonna be interesting. <laughs> um, for me, I'm almost excited that you know, I, like you were saying, they need the staples, Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's Joust. there's things that cannot be compromised. Ultraman. Yeah, probably needs to be born. <laughs> but like, and I'm almost glad that they might not be able to get everything because I feel like that would almost be detrimental to the movie. It'd be too much. Like, you go to a scene and it's like, oh, I got my D and D stuff. I'm gonna jump in my X wing and do it. And then like, as fun as you think it would sound, I feel like it would just almost be too much. Like, like sensory uh, overload. Of see, just and like, that's okay. I think like, that's the difference between movies and a book because in the book, that stuff has to be mentioned and talked about and like yeah. pointed out. In a movie. It can just be in the background. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, but it's not mentioned because it's not described like it is in a book. You yeah. still have to pay for that. Like, you still have to pay time. for the licensing. Yeah, yeah. But it's not like sensory, sensory overwhelming because yeah, it's just it, it can there. Just be like you there just, somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll, they'll do it cleverly. I mean, in the, instead of the scene where Wade selects from, you know, X-Wing, Firefly, and, and the DeLorean, he'll just like open the suicide door on the DeLorean and get in. You know, yeah. that's going to be the 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 workaround i mean uh ernest klein comes from a screenwriting background so i think he wrote the book probably with the movie in mind and i mean obviously with a hope that it would be made into a movie but um he wrote um fanboys you guys have ever seen that it's like a blockbuster exclusive forever ago (laughs) movie is great what what'd you say sonny yeah exactly it dates me uh yeah blockbuster blockbuster exclusive it was it was good it was fun clever movie but yeah i think ready player one is on another level entirely mm-hmm. for sure it's definitely ernest klein's you know masterpiece uh in writing and it feels like he wrote it for the movie like and that's why i'm so excited for the movie which is something i rarely ever say about books to yeah. movies <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited because the book was written so that it could be a movie like very easily it's written very well in a movie sense like like even when when i'm reading it like i visualize everything like a movie it's not it's not like normal novels when i'm visualizing things it's it's more first person like i'm like there you know as they say that's not how i feel with ready play one i feel like i'm watching the movie by reading the book so like translating that to a movie hopefully won't be as difficult and hopefully will translate better than normal yeah, I think I mean if you know screenwriting, it's like you can you can pick out the beats pretty pretty easily. I mean, I, I did it earlier in this episode, like yeah, the gathering mm-hmm. team storm the castle. You know, very simple, out there beat. But well, it's it's almost it's almost the same as VR nowadays. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's very interesting. You know, stuff like you were saying. You know, especially visualizing the book, and you know, it's gonna it's very much written to be a movie. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, you can watch all the trailers for VR games. You're not getting the whole experience. And so it, it's fascinating to think of it from that perspective of the fact that, you know, it, it, he definitely does write it as if it were a big screen movie. And so it's going to be interesting to see that and like VR to experience it, to get a chance to, you know, throw yourself into it. And I think a lot of the things are a lot more visual and it's going to be so fascinating to see what they do with yeah. it. Like that's the one big word I have is just fascinated with what the movie's going to be. Yeah, I'm very interested, apprehensive, and excited. Well, it's I mean, I feel like what he does for this book is like it's much more explicit communication. We talked about that with writing styles before, but he he, he has uh he colors in a lot of the details that that usually get left out and maybe the reader would have to fill in mm-hmm. and that's it's really interesting to see so we now have this very fully fleshed out picture of what i literally imagine it would look like because he's got all of the characters that we know and love in this book he's got all of the settings that we know and love in this book what do you do next you know it's like i remember thinking like oh wouldn't it be cool if you know this movie was in the the book and then later on there's like monty python you know and it's like somebody out there read that book and was like oh if only that war game simulation was monty python and then boom right at the end they get that yeah and it's like he's colored in all the details already that i think is what's most worrisome to me is that does not leave any or very little if any breathing room for translation to an actual movie like that's when books go to movies like there's a significant amount of adaptation and 
change to to you know adjust and, and adapt the long form novelization kind of medium to a two hour movie there's a lot that has to change and i think that that is what i'm most afraid of is there so much of the novel is detailed and set in stone and like explicitly communicated so that i have a very full picture and that is going to be a lot more jarring to change than just an implicit like imagination that i had of a novel you know that's true that i mean that is one aspect the other aspect is like a director might enjoy that you know mm -hmm. i know that i've seen or i've been in you know put together short films i, should, I can't talk put together short films before where the screen play has been written for me and it's a lot easier to just have something very detailed that I don't have a lot of gaps in to say, like, I know how this is supposed to look. Yeah. Um, and so I, I imagine for a master like Spielberg, that's it's, it's going to be pretty straightforward. I mean, his attention now isn't going to be on how do I fill in these gaps. It's going to be, well, it's mostly done by the screenwriters anyway, but it's going to be more on how do I make these actors convincing from the character perspective. Yeah. And that could... That could be really great. But the other aspect is what you mentioned with it being just kind of jarring for people that are like, I knew exactly what I was waiting for. I went to this movie to see Ultraman or whatever. I, saw, I went to this movie to see Mechagodzilla. And if they take that out, it's like, yeah, what happens now? Are they going to put Voltron in there right next to Godzilla? That's going to be tough. Looking at you, The Last Airbender. <sighs> mm -hmm. Yeah. That's exactly what happened with that movie is you had... I mean, it comes from a cartoon, not a book. So they made a movie out of that. <laughs> Do not speak have, of that, Seth. I seem to have repressed that from my memory, <laughs> as you should have. But on a oh, on so a related bad. note, that's exactly what happened. Is they had very explicit scenes, how things were supposed to look and feel and behave, and he changed it. And that was so jarring that we completely ignored that the movie ever existed. And that is what I'm afraid will happen with Ready Player One. I don't like it's not gonna be that bad because Spielberg is amazing. He's not gonna let that happen. But it's gonna be I'm afraid it's gonna be in a similar vein of like it has changed from something I had explicitly envisioned with no wiggle with no wiggle room. <laughs> it's hard for me to say. And because it had changed and I had such a set vision, it will be too jarring and it will pull me completely out of the movie. I think Klein's involved, isn't he? I mean, I don't know. I imagine he must be, just given that he's got that that background. True. I know a lot of writers of novels aren't generally involved in the movie process, so I don't know if he is or not. Actually, yeah, that's a yeah, be interesting. I wonder. I mean, it, if anything, we have a movie that is so ingrained with the '80s. I don't think you could have picked a better person to direct it. Oh yeah. I mean, like, two-thirds yeah. of Spielberg's work yeah. is in this book, so... Yeah, it's all <laughs> referenced. Right? Yeah. So it's like, I mean, if anything, if worse comes to worse, things will get changed, and it won't be as good, but it will... I feel like it'll it'll at least be a pretty decent film. Yeah. I, mean, I think with, I agree. With Spielberg behind the wheel of it, especially in that kind of dominant house that he has, you know, the 80s was his era... I feel like it will at least come across as a pretty decent, competent film. Yeah. Well, I know in the beginning when Spielberg was first announced, he had said that he's not including any of his own references in the movie, which I think has changed. I think he's changed his mind because it was a huge backlash. Like, you can't, wh how, why, no, you can't, no. The, uh, the community freaked out because that's ridiculous. So I think he has changed that, but maybe not. Well, it's a licensing nightmare. I mean, yeah. every, it's, it's settings, it's movies, it's books. Well, yeah, I'm music, sure. and that is why it's taking what eight years? Because like they, the rights to the movie were bought almost immediately. They were bought before the book came out. Yeah, so it's <laughs> I'm positive that the time it has taken isn't waiting for a studio to pick it up or whatever, waiting for that studio to start filming. Like it's none of that. It's like probably literally, age. hey, can we it's, get 15 minutes of war game in this, please? Yeah, it's like, or can we get this? Can we get that? Like that's yeah. what took so long. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, 2018, right? So yeah. mm -hmm. next year, March, next year, yeah. I believe. Like, Ooh, yeah, early. Get hyped. It's early too. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm very excited. I, I do love. It was supposed to be the end of this year. <sighs> Got moved. I mean, that's what they always say. Because of the last Jedi. <laughs> I don't blame them. Excellent I, I believe, decision. I believe it was December of this year, and they Good. were like, "We're we're gonna move that." Good yeah, decision. you find a nice, comfortable spot to that'll be a blockbuster on its own. So wait, which movie is 
isn't a Star Wars movie coming out in May next year? Because um, what Rogue One came out in the f- winter of last year, right? November or December, like June or July or something. Yeah, they mo- they mostly. I mean, the original ones were all May because that's George Lucas's birthday mm-hmm. month. Mm-hmm. They switched it to December, which kind of a better idea, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, I, I think they might. I think Episode Nine might be back to May. I'm not a hundred percent sure about that, but. And then I don't know about Han Solo because that's maybe right. the next one after. That one got taken off rails. Yeah. It, well, I mean, that's a fascinating story. Well, that's that's a whole another whole another podcast. Yeah, it is a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, Gone with only three weeks of shooting left? Question mark. Yeah, it's weird too. How? No, we're not talking about yeah, it. No, no, no. Yeah, save Pause it for it. another day. Pause <laughs> it. We're coming back. <laughs> coming back for that one. Um, what was your guys' favorite? Uh, moment, Ready Player One moment. I think we should. Oh, yeah, I know that's that's tough for you, Seth. It's gotta be like it, I would say um, the parts between the front and back cover. Oh, oh, those are good parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's probably my favorite. <laughs> See, I like the front cover. <laughs> just, I just, mean, no. um, just instinctively, I loved all the Highlander references, but that's just me. Yeah, there there were so many. I was like, oh my gosh, more Highlander references. I was so Please. happy every time they did it because I, I <laughs> guilty pleasure. Those are like my favorite. <laughs> but Well, you mean just the first one, right? Uh, because the, the, I mean, the second one is <laughs> Yeah, the second one's pretty good, but not in the same way. The TV show is great. The third one's not horrible. It's I mean, it's not great, but... So the OG side note, is the best. Speaking of Highlander, and the, I don't know why this reminded me, um, the like getting, I think it was the Crystal Key. Yeah, yeah, getting the Crystal Key was the whole Rush twenty one twelve uh, intro track and overture and stuff. Like, oh my gosh, that was that blew my mind the first time I read it because I I'm a huge Rush fan in general, mm-hmm. so I did not like see that coming at all and then it was like oh my gosh this is like oh the temple of Syrinx, like oh my gosh i'm free i was freaking out about it so that might be my favorite part was just like we're gonna play the guitar to yeah it was yeah, like a full was... visualization of this like crazy rush album it's like oh my god this is amazing this is what like i would sell my soul into vr for that like that <laughs> yeah. that was amazing I that think, kind of stuff oh my gosh i i think overall my favorite part like the part because when I started reading, I was like, yeah, th- this is good. I mean, I had a few issues, and I was like, oh, okay, like, I, I really want to get through this. I don't really want to like it. And I think the part that switched me over that I loved was the minute that he realized where the copper key was and the journey to go get that and then mm-hmm. that section. Just because it, it became, instead of just like, yeah, we're teenagers and we love video games and the brr, brr, brr. You know, it's just like, okay, yeah, this is this is interesting. Then it switched over to becoming a true mystery story for me. It yeah. was like, okay, this is fascinating. Where are they going to go? How are they going to get this and, uh, and all that? And I, I don't know why. For me, that was just such an interesting part. And mm-hmm. I, I would say that that was my favorite part of the whole thing was just that first little bit of just like, nobody's gotten this for five years. I have to run to go here. Yeah. And that fascinating. And then the minute it does, it just blows up. It was, it was like so it, cool. As soon as the exposition is done and it's like <laughs> into the story. As soon as it's the story. <laughs> when we get to the story, that's when I like it. Yeah. That, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah. from a storytelling perspective, yeah, it's yeah, great. Yeah. It's just like the natural tre- national treasure starts when like you get a little bit of backstory, but it's like, it starts when they go to the ship mm-hmm. and that's they like, find the pipe. Yep. Exactly. And that's why most, movies start not most but a lot of movies start at the end and then flash back to the beginning is for that exact reason so you don't have to sit through this long setup and exposition and all yeah. this stuff well something so complex is ready player one i mean the, the the maxim is you know start like jump into the story as late as possible like begin the scene as late as you can without robbing the viewer the reader whoever of the necessary information they need to process what's happening mm-hmm. so give them context but you can't really do that in Ready Player One by just jumping in and having him running around on Ludus going, I know where it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. So, Plus yeah. the whole time, I guess you can think Adventure Time, the whole time I just thought of like Ron Perlman is the lich. Just like, play me and joust. And I was just like laughing hysterically <laughs> as that popped up. I'm so. going to think of the lich's Ron Perlman forever <laughs> it's now. Gonna, yeah, it's going to be stuck <laughs> in your head forever. Thanks for that. Sorry, Internet. I'm not. Deal that's with amazing. It. Uh, yeah, I, I, would, I, I really like the Blade Runner bit when mm-hmm. i yeah. first mm-hmm. listened to it 
Um, I think outside of that, though, I'm just a sucker for the the war games sim because I'm a movie fanatic and I've had that dream for forever to just be able to like live in the movie and try yes. to like be one of those characters. Like yeah. I never wanted to be an actor, but yeah, same. but definitely like super cool to be in like Ocean's Eleven or something. Especially with the agency that it provides, like you're not just you know watching a movie in vr you you are in the movie so like if you don't want to participate in the movie like you don't have to and that was that's the coolest part to me is the optionalness of it yeah very cool flick sinks are flick sync yeah let's TM. get on that vr let's, let's do that well and on that i loved how it was like oh you get points for doing the lines oh you get points for doing the motions and the facial expressions and it's like this is so fascinating. What a like, tone. What? They even yeah. tone. Yeah. That's tone and nuts. inflection, like bonus points for that. that is, it's a really good game. That is a great mm-hmm. game idea used as a plot device. Plus, it would be an educational thing for like actors and things like that, too. True. Plus, it legitimately makes you think how many times you've done that. Like, how many times have you been sitting there and can just rattle off a movie yeah, and yeah. do it perfectly? And he says that when he's doing monty python is in the book he says like i've seen this movie you know a thousand times or whatever but i've never actually done it before and that was the hard part for him is like you have to you know act out a movie that you had only seen before and that like that that's very interesting to me that would be really fun yeah he's got a clever analogy for it but i can't think of it off the top of my head same (laughs) i can't i have no idea what i don't remember now but yes all of it was good Mm -hmm. i think I'm I'm really nervous about the movie though. I mean, I know we've kind of touched on this already, so I won't backtrack that much. I think it's going to be good. I've seen some of the footage that they're creating, and it's like car car chase, high speed car chase scene. And I'm thinking in the in the book, like when did that happen? And I don't <laughs> think it did in in Ohio. Like it yeah. was in real world, so everybody's like walking around with VR goggles. Oh, interesting. And it was yeah, you can see it. There's like this one of those rigs that's set up on a street that's like fully abandoned yeah i've got this big jib arm with like a car attached to it and it's flipping huh to the podcast listener listener jeffrey is making a face of confusion and what and um, Seth's making a similar <laughs> face i'm kind of making a confused slash disgusted face because like, that does not okay. sound good to me yeah so this is the the skepticism i don't want to turn anybody off from the the movie it's i think it's still going to be great but mm-hmm. Anything with Steven Spielberg generally, yeah, true, is going to be watchable. <laughs> it's definitely going to be watchable. There's no question there. The fact, like, I okay, so I hold Harry Potter as like the gold standard of like the right way to go from book to movie because they did it really well. Yeah, the adaptation standard is Harry Potter, in my opinion. They did it very, very well. So it's not going to be like that. There's it, it, the book is too complicated for that level of authenticity to be from book to movie but changing iraq to a bounty hunter and uh you know adding car chases and having people walking around in their vr like that that's too much that's way too off base for me so we'll have to see you know how it actually plays out but as long as they stay away from the gimmicks it'll be it'll be totally fine yeah well it's almost we're almost in this era of just like there's so many random, like you were saying, gimmicks, like things that need to be done for a movie in 2017, 2018 plus, and stuff like that. You now there's always there's going to be an intense car chase. Maybe somebody's on the car. Maybe somebody gets thrown out of the car. Maybe this or this, and and so it's going to be interesting. And I really hope that Steven Spielberg shies away from some of that. I mean, I understand that you do have to kind of add in some filler, some fluff to kind of you know pattern the movie and have you know people that aren't huge fans of the books love it and people that are love it and everyone love it and everything like that so it'll be interesting to see what they add what they kind of change mesh and my one big concern is that they will take the romance from artemis and parzival and make it like a teen, no, uh, like, uh, uh, no, nope, uh, nope. like this. This is a movie about romance that involves video games. Like, uh, no, that's what I'm really concerned about. Like, for... there is a significant portion of the book though where he kind of goes full yeah. into oh, that yeah. though. Like when they go to the when they go to Ogden's birthday party and mm-hmm. he's just it's like, sign- but it, that's one scene, and all of it is based around the video game. Like 
to a fault. Like that is why you know Artis, Artemis got so upset. It's because like she refused to get rid of the video game buffer. And if you're gonna make it like you know a teen romance kind of thing, like that's. But he even montages it in the book, though. Yeah. You know, like we'll, I, this, we'll you we'll don't, see. you never see that. And it was one of the things that threw me off is that you get this B story, with standard B story. Mm-hmm. There's your screenwriting again yeah. of the the love story with with Artemis, but he montages it in the book. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And I spent the next few weeks just like in Pure chat rooms with Artemis. Eighties montage. It's standard eighties montage. I understand that, but I swear, if the trailer comes out and it's like in a dystopian future where VR rules, love will blossom. Yeah. I'm like, I'm out. If, if I'm this out. Is, if this is a, a VR adaptation of The Fault in Our Stars, I'm f- oh, I'm out. No. That it's is like, what no, I'm afraid we're good. of. We're... I mean, the book and movie is good, whatever. It's its own thing, but like, do not bring that level of teen romance into They, they couldn't, one. though, because Artemis is not a sap like Hazel. We'll see, I'm man. I'm so worried, They though. can change a lot. Especially like... Especially seeing the actors, like who they chose. I mean, so like Simon Pegg, perfect. I love mm-hmm. T.J. Miller. He's gonna be funny. It's whatever. Yeah. The the main actors that they got are just like wet blankets. <laughs> oh, no, I don't mean to say that, but it's like just looking at them, it's like oh, I know what they're gonna turn this into. Is almost the feeling I get, and I don't mean to sound rude or mean or anything like. But that's just kind of the feeling you get is a very YA like. Hunger yep. Games, Divergent, like type feeling I'm from them, really and I'm concerned. like, just please, just blow my expectations out of the water. Yeah, that that. Well, would I be mean, awesome. look at look at Baby Driver, man. Baby Driver is a perfect Hunter. example. Yeah, he true. Until was a was a YA guy. That was like all his whole career, and then he crushed it in Baby Driver. So maybe those YA actors can crush it in Ready Player One. They're leveling up, man. Yeah, like Tom Holland from Spider Man. Yeah. <laughs> so good yeah he i mean you yeah i think i've i'm sketched out like you but i think they're gonna they're gonna do it justice i think the one thing that will help our fears is just two words and that's steven spielberg yep 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 like okay true it's like we may have reservations but then at the same time it's like okay let steven spielberg let him do his thing and we we should get some good performance you hit on it earlier at the very least it's gonna be interesting it, it'll be it'll be a good movie to watch let's at, at the very worst let steven spielberg do his thing it's like a life mantra <laughs> <laughs> let the spielberg be the spielberg yes and on that note follow us on social media <laughs> hey <laughs> speaking of steven spielberg tunnel bear Speaking of loving the movies of Steven Spielberg, you can follow us on Twitter <laughs> at Overlooked underscore cast. He's our future friend. We're going to have him as a guest one day. That'd be great. So, Steve. Uh, so, so, like, so Steve. That, yeah, that'd be great. Um, so, tell me about E.T. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, so, okay, yes. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. Uh, hit up levelupyourfandom.com to listen to podcasts and check out blogs and all that cool stuff. And if you don't want to ingest podcasts at iTunes or Google Play. Because they're there. Yeah. You can't find them there. You probably did if you're listening to this. Womp womp. Go to levelupyourfandom.com Yeah, and I mean, if you're listening to this, if you like it, let us know. Yeah, Send reviews. Talk to us. Yeah, just let us Tell know. Tell us stuff. We, we always want to improve and do things better especially if you hated it yeah or you know you can write a nice comment and then keep your negative comment to yourself <laughs> you can say things like good job sport or champ yeah yeah keep it up especially Boss, sport hondo slick Jeep. if you if you use pal though <laughs> block yeah, no. or buddy buddy uh, really great podcast i'm buddy i'm, I'm a big fan of, of, of buckaroo or, or chief yeah yeah just yeah like cool you know like like anything k would say in men in black yeah pretty much yeah just that's nice. a good that's a good yardstick there yeah so guys i do have to tell you though uh, uh. i had some pretty <laughs> i had some pretty some big surgery the other day oh yeah it was pretty intense i mean i was thinking about it but then i decided to go through it um but it, it was big i mean i wasn't originally gonna get a, a brain transplant but then I changed my mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Hashtag bad dad joke. Uh, 
The internet hates me. <laughs> I'm beginning to hate you. <laughs> Often underscore overlooked underscore podcast. The podcast. Make sure you call Jeffrey Chief. Chief Jeffrey. Hashtag bad dad jokes. Hashtag Jeffrey Chief Jeffrey. Chief Jeffrey. Chief Jeffrey. All day. All, all day. Her a day. <laughs> we now return you to your regularly scheduled boredom.